Hey, just a heads up. This podcast has some describes some violent things that happened in my grandmother's life. She grew up at the beginning of the civil rights movements and she talks about her experiences there. And this might trigger some traumatic experiences for some listeners. So please be advised. Coming to you straight from my mind into your ears, this is Life of a Modern High Schooler. Welcome back to Life as a Modern High Schooler. Today is a very special, it's a Thanksgiving episode, and I have with me a very special person to me. You know her because she won Lady of the Year. I know her because she makes the world's best macaroni and cheese, um, green beans, and clam chowder. Give it up for my grandmother, Leela Faye Rich. Hello. Hi. Glad to be with you. So, what was life like when you were growing up, when you were about my age? Wow, when... I lived in a very small town, about 3,000 people, and I went to a graded school, first grade through 12th grade, all in the same school. High school was upstairs, and and everybody else was downstairs. So it was only two stories? Two stories, all in one building. I had, uh, I think, 127 people were in high school, and 18 in my class, and most of the people in my class had been in my class from the time... I had been in second grade, first grade. We had gone through school together. So we knew each other well. We knew all the teachers, lived in a small community, and all the teachers knew our parents. So you didn't really ever mess up bad at church school because you were in church together. You saw each other in the grocery store. It was a close-knit community, so whatever happened in school, everybody knew about it. So I we didn't have... Um, I don't remember discipline as being an issue at my school because of the closeness of everybody. Everybody, I mean, people would act out and you'd be sent out of the room or something when you were in lower grades. But in high school, I don't remember their name was significant because we knew each other. So high schoolers were a lot more mature when you were growing up than they are today. I don't know they're any more mature. We, um, we didn't have the distraction, not distraction, we didn't have the entertainment that you have today. We didn't have, I didn't even have television until the 50s, and I graduated in 57. I think we got a television two or three years before I graduated from high school. So I didn't really grow up with much television. Radio, we'd have stories on the radio, we'd listen to the radio, we'd have music on the radio, we'd have story t- times on radio that we liked, but um, didn't have, of course there were no computers, you didn't have cell phones. So we were... So what did you do for fun? Like, how did you... Because, well, I mean, you obviously couldn't watch YouTube. So what, like, did you play any games? Well, like, did I've, you have a favorite game? Not the kind of games you're thinking about. I played basketball. If you're in a small school and... I didn't if, know you played basketball. If you're in a small school and you there are sports, everybody plays all the sports. And we just had basketball for females. So, yes, I played basketball all four years I was in school. We had... We do a play, and I was in the play. Um, you were in every club because there were so few people. We had the biggest deal at our small school was when you got to be a junior and a senior, there was a ball. The juniors gave a junior senior for the seniors, and when you got to be seniors, the juniors did one for you. And you de- decorated the gym, and you hired a band, and 
that you worked very hard, you had to make the money to pay for it. And we frequently worked after school. Um, I had a job on Saturdays when I was, from the time I was 16, I worked at a dry goods store. I was the cashier. And then in, we could chop peanuts and cotton and in the summer I worked with some friends, a family, putting in tobacco. So we were, it's a rural area and if you had to make money you had to earn it and so you do projects to do that. I don't ever remember being bored. I think about it now when I see you or my other grandchildren busy with playing computer games thinking, what did I do with my time? I think I learned to sew. I wasn't very good at it. I took class and had to take home ec, or it was one of those classes I took in high school, and I remember learning to sew. But I just had regular activities. We all got our driver's license when you were 16. Big deal. You get a car and you drive because you didn't have any public transportation. Um, we had very involved in activities. I was involved in my church. And so church activities, you're in church on Sundays and then on Wednesday nights and, and a lot of activities and games and travel and with church groups going here and there. And you have two siblings, correct? Yes, I have a sister and a brother. When you... I was a senior in high school, my, there were 12 years between Al and me and six years between my sister. I think that my they're one, first grade, sixth grade, and 12th grade. And did you ever get into, like, any trouble with them? Like, did you ever, did you ever, like, do you have any, like, funny stories about, like, something you would do with them as a kid? Because there was, there was a, a great distance in ages between us. I um, didn't have the sibling rivalry that, I have three sons who were closer in age, and they had a lot of sibling rivalry. They did a lot of things. But not so much with my sister and brother. I, I, I can't remember a long trips on Sundays, every third Sunday in our family. Since we were lived away from my mom and dad's people, we would travel an hour to Williamston, leave every third Sunday. We would leave and I think we'd go to Sunday school and we'd drive there and we'd had, and we would have uh, dinner with my uncle and grandfather and all his the siblings would get together of my father and then we would see them and in the afternoon we would drive down to Janesville and see my mother's sisters. And I remember being with the car with my brother and sister for a long time all day. I remember lots of fights in there, telling my brother we were gonna open the door and push him out. I mean, but not because we weren't that close in age, we didn't have the kind of rivalries I remember with my own children. And yes, do you want to elaborate further on the kind of rivalry Rivalries my dad and my two uncles got into <laughs> as kids. You don't have to say their names if you think it'll embarrass them. But. No, I just remember when we were moving, actually moving to come down here. We're now, we live at, we've retired to the beach. We're out on a nice porch looking at the water. It's but, quite beautiful. But when we were, we were cleaning up the house, getting ready to put it on the market, I took down a um, photograph, that, a picture that was hanging up in the hall, and behind the picture was a hole in the hall. And I said, oh my goodness, I'd forgotten about this. It's gotta be repaired. It's plaster. And one of the boys, I'm not which one, tried to hit the other boy and he ducked and it didn't hit his brother. It went and made a hole in the, and right through the plaster. I mean, it was a hole, maybe it was just, maybe it really wasn't plaster, it's just 
sheetrock. But anyway, there was a hole in the wall, and I had remembered covering it up with this portrait, and now we were moving, and I found it. So I didn't. Re I don't remember which of the boys, and I'm sure it was in. At one point, one of the boys got angry with your father. He'd done something, and took his glasses, and took them and went across the rocks on one of the fireplaces and scratched them all. I mean, and then of course when you do that, then you have to be, you have to earn money to pay to have them fixed. You have to be <laughs> reprimanded and sent to your room. But the children loved each other, and so do I. Love my brother and sister, but we did. We didn't all, always agree on everything. And how about how did you and Poppy Bill meet? Do you want to tell that story? Because I, I, I love that story. I think it's really romantic, especially well, the way you tell I finished, it. Because we both I, know Poppy Bill has a different version <laughs> of the story. Well, when I graduated from this little high school with 127 students in it, I decided I was accepted to go to Wake Forest University. And I was there, and I decided my second year that I'd studied, I'd taken a course in German. I'd studied French in high school and French in college, but I took a course in German and decided that I was going to go to Europe for the summer. And I had two girls, friends, who wanted to go with me. And we were, my father sold automobiles and he was going to order a German car, make car that he sold, Opel, and we were going to pick it up at the factory and drive it around Europe and then take it to the, and mail it, I mean, actually ship it back to the United States. And we found uh, a student at Wake Forest who was going to travel with us, a male student, because my parents wanted us to have a guy on the trip. We women didn't think we needed a guy, but the parents thought we needed a guy on the trip. And we found one. Turned out at the last minute he he needed to work that summer. He, he wouldn't have enough scholarship money. So we found another student who actually was studying, was working in Germany for the first three weeks, and he would join us for the last part of our trip. So that worked out. Now, so that's why I was going to Germany. And I had some friends who were at, the, who were at Wake Forest with me. Mm-hmm, I'm listening. I had some friends who were going to be in Munich, Germany, studying German that summer, and I said, fine. The three of us, the three girls of us, we will travel. We are going to go, we landed in we landed in Germany and we went up to Scandinavia and we'll come back down by Munich because we're going to Italy and we'll join you on July the 4th. We will be there for the, the week of July 4th. So we planned and we did. And we met the group. Actually, we got delayed so we didn't get there until about the 10th of July, but we got to two. And I saw my friends and at night, I was 21, I'd had my first glass of wine when I was 21 when I had been in Switzerland. So we got there, and they said, you want to go to the Hofbrauhaus House in Munich? And I said, yes. And there was a young man on that trip that I had had a class with in college, and he had said, you want to go with me? And I said, yes. And I went with him to the Hofbrauhaus. House. But apparently he, was, he had too much to drink that night, and he was not in a position to walk me back. He was too inebriated. So I was just going to sort of leave him there and go, and then this young man that I didn't know very very well, whose name was Bill Rich, said, let me walk you back to the, to the, to the um, hotel where we were staying. And I said, that would be very nice <laughs> if you would do that. And I think the fellow I went with, got his, some of his friends got him up to get him back, but he didn't take me back. 
And I met this very nice young man, and he walked me back to the residence, I mean, to the hotel. But we got lost going back, and it took an awful long time. We kept taking, and then I thought, oh, he's getting us lost because he wants to spend some more time talking to me. So I thought he was sort of, it was his way of just sort of extending the evening. So we met there and we had that evening and I think we left a couple of days later to go the three the women I was with we were on our way to Italy so we left the group and went to Italy and I didn't really get to see Bill Rich again until we got back on campus but that was my first meeting with Bill Rich and then by I guess by February of that year six months later we were engaged, or maybe in the spring, and we got married the following year after we graduated. And 50 years after that, we went to Costa Rica we did. to celebrate your 50th, 50th. anniversary, which was the... And that was eight years ago. It was the first time I left the country, and I, one of the only times I've left the country. Do you oh. have any stories from that? Because I was very young at the time, and I don't remember it very well. Oh, let's hope you remember it. I remember parts of it. I remember... I remember a monkey being on people's a heads. Picture, have a picture of Chessa with the monkey on her I remember her back. the monkey on people's heads. Uh-huh. I remember the bugs. I remember getting locked in a room. Yeah. And I remember th- I remember there being a swimming pool. Yeah, I remember going out, out on that beach. We need to look at all those pictures again, and I think it'll come back to you. You remember Uncle David and then being on those skates and pulled on that parasquet thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. It was, Yeah. But do you have any stories from that? Well, I think, do you remember the Christmas tree we made? We made a Christmas tree out of, we were there over Christmas, and I'd taken construction paper and I'd made a huge Christmas tree on the wall. And we agreed that everyone, that Santa would be able to find us if we had a Christmas tree there. So we made the Christmas tree in the room, and the adults had to give gifts that, you couldn't buy. So all the adults gave poems and stories and children. And dressed up with little elf hats and sang, <laughs> elf hats into, and sang. sang into the little microphones that changed their voices. <laughs> I know. So we did that. We had a great, so we, our, yes, our vacation, our, it turns out that we got married at Christmas time. And so we got to go on this great holiday to celebrate it right there in Costa Rica for our 50th. That was wonderful. Speaking of Christmas stories. Mm-hmm. You want to tell the one about the gingerbread cookie ornaments? Well, every year, is this the one? Every year we make gingerbread cookies here at at this house. But then you made them the one year, and then there wasn't enough love. Oh no no no! The first gingerbread cookies we made were in your father, was only about three or four, and. We started making gingerbread cookies, and we were going to tie them up and put them on the Christmas tree. And we made them, and we tied them up, and he was little, like maybe he was only two, just talking and walking, because he had a brother who was maybe five. And this was, so this, this was Jason? Was, that was, this, we're talking about Peter. Oh, Peter. Jason oh. was, if Jason was born, I'm not even sure he was born at this when this story was made, and this happened. So... We made these cookies the night, and we tied them on the chair with little red ribbons, and we put them on the chair. And the next morning, Peter, your dad, came to me and punched me. Mommy, Mommy, come. Oh, I know. I forgot to tell you this part. 
when we were making the cookies, the boys were fussing and fighting, and they just were just grumpy and tired. And I said, sent them to their room and said, the most important ingredient in gingerbread cookies is love. And if you don't have them, they won't turn out. So go to your room. And when you find the love, you can come back and we'll finish making the cookies. So they went in and they came back and they'd found the love. So we made the cookies. And we made them and they were big cookies and tied them with gingerbread and put them on the bed. Then the next morning, your dad, when he, maybe two and a half, comes in and he punches me in the back and says, Mommy, Mommy, come in the living room. I said, what is it? He said, we didn't have enough wub to hold them together. I said, what are you talking about? He said, the cookies, they're all over the floor. We ruined them. So I said, oh, no. And I went in there and they hadn't gotten hard enough and they'd gotten soft in the night. And everyone they had little heads all over the trees and little bodies all over the floor. So I said, and he kept insisting it was because I didn't have enough love. I said, that may be part of it, but the other part is that I didn't make the cookies properly. So what I did was to go out and get plaster of Paris, and I made gingerbread ornaments, and we painted them brown. And we put little holes in their heads. We painted their faces. And we had, I have one of those left after 50 years. It's got a little hole in it. It said, well, whatever. I have those plaster of Paris did not fall off the tree when we put it on it. But they were so heavy that every single limb on the tree just whopped down when we put them on it because they were so heavy. And then for years, I didn't make Christmas cookies. We never made them again really? until my granddaughter Chessa was born. And so that was maybe 15 years. It was such a traumatic experience for all of us. We just didn't do gingerbread cookies. And when Chessa was born, she was three or four, she, she wanted to make gingerbread cookies. And I was too, I had such a bad experience. And I said, all right, this is my granddaughter. What can go wrong? I'll try it again. I called my friend and got a, good, a different recipe. But every time I would try to cut them out with the cookie cutters, put it in with stick. And I was just getting very depressed. And Chessa said, Lala, I'll show you how to do it. It's like making cookies out of mud and sandbox cookies. I know how to do that. She says, this is the way you do it. And she took the, and she reached down really hard and she shook and shook and shook it. And a perfect ginger man came out. And I always felt that 30 years of guilt went away with this child. And that, of course, we didn't hang them on the tree. We just ate them. It's hanging on the tree that you got to make, make sure they are. Every single year. And now we make gingerbread cookies and we paint them every single year. They're delicious. Mm -hmm. And I am sure you have enough for your thing. Well, let's see. I'm sure. We have 18 minutes. That's a lot. We need 30. Really? Yes. Okay. You are the prime guest. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you have many stories about your life. I'm trying. I guess if you go back, let's go back to high school for a minute. Okay. We started off talking about high school. I think that, I think occasionally I've seen that people would try to copy the past and have a sock op. But sock ops, where we'd go in and you'd put on your records and you'd play your music, but you would dance in socks. Because usually you were dancing on the floor in the gym or a place that you couldn't mess up the floor. So the reason that you wore socks, because your shoes, any other shoes, would have messed up the floor. So we had sock ops, and that was fun. I think 
this is a sad thing to talk about, but when I was a junior in high school, um, there was an event at my high school. I was dating. My friend and I had um, decided we were going to a movie in my little hometown, and we went to the, the movie that night. There was had been a, a a banquet for the football players. It was in spring, and after the banquet, we had decided to go to the movie. Other of friends of ours were going to go. Oh, they were driving in a car, but we went to the movies. And while we were in the movies, my boyfriend's father walked in, but he was the mayor of the town, and he looked like he was looking for people, but because he was the mayor, I thought it was a business. And then later, my father came in and to me and reached over and he said, you need to leave, I need to talk to you guys. So that was strange, and my dad got us in the car and said there had been an accident. And a train, actually two trains, a car, which had four friends of mine, were hit by a train going one way, and then another train came another way. Railroad divided my little hometown. It went right down the middle of the hometown. And we weren't, they weren't sure who was in the cars. So everybody was looking for their children. So my father took my boyfriend and to my house. And his dad said, please stay here. By that time, they had figured out which car it was. And the, far, and the car was being driven by my boyfriend's best friend. So that night, when my mom and daddy went to bed, Robin, my friend, said, I can't stay here anymore. And we lived about a half a mile from town, downtown, and he walked the half a mile. And he went and he found the wreck. And he, he went and he found his friend's head, Benton Moss's head. And that, that automobile accident was the trauma of my high school. And if you talk to any of us, who were at that school at my junior and senior year, this, this wreck. It turns out that there were three deaths, three people were killed, and the young woman who was in my room was found seven or eight hours later. She had been knocked from the car, that's before you had to wear seatbelts, and somebody was just walking back and heard somebody moaning, and she'd been thrown from the car, and she survived. She didn't come back to school for the rest of that year. She had some traumatic injuries, but she survived. I would, I would expect she would. So as to be a junior in high school, we had three funerals in three days. And um, the friend, another friend, Freddie Troutman's funeral, she had gotten her prom dress that she was gonna wear to the junior senior. And her mom took the prom dress and they took all the tool, they used to have tool and stuff on and that was interlaced with flowers, and that was on the top of her coffin. I bet it looked beautiful. It did, but I can, I'll, I'll just, so in a small high school, something like that is traumatic, so. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm -hmm. So that's an experience, and anyone who was in that high school will tell you a similar story about how it changed the rest of their life, going to funerals, going to everything, and trying to visit these families, and. And because we were all connected, we all knew each other, and you knew it's, it was it was hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's see. I had three first cousins. I mean, there no, I had more than that. But my mother has two sisters, and all the sisters had children, and we were all born 
within six months of each other. And they were all girls. So every summer... That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Because it goes, like in our family, it goes all girls, and then it goes all boys, and then it goes all girls again. So I'm like, I don't think it's physically possible for me to have a female child biologically. <laughs> On behalf of my family, I took out a story, so sorry if the cuts are a little confusing. Um, Okay, and we are back! Alright. With about two more stories-ish to go. Alright, um, well, I, I I went to Wake Forest University, um... And there I studied history, and I was involved in the college theater. But in the in 1960 was the beginning of the civil rights. Oh, sorry to cut you off, but can you Mm -hmm. also tell the one about like your theater professor and all the things he would do? Well, let's I'll come back. Let's try this. Okay. Um, And it was the beginning of civil rights movement in this country. Now I had grown up in a town, Enfield. It was Halifax County is a very was a very segregated county, seventy five percent black, twenty five percent white, and black students were bused to black schools, white students were bused to white schools. And there's nobody fussed about the busing as long as you were being bused as whites were being bused to white schools. The only complaints about busing happened later after 1954 when you when whites were being bused and blacks were being bused to integrated schools so busing is I understood it I hate I didn't I wasn't aware about I had grown up and accepted this horrible kinds of unwritten laws of segregation I didn't question that blacks went to here I didn't question that they didn't get to drink out of the same water fountains that I did. I didn't question that until in my church, maybe my junior, senior year, when this was becoming pretty obvious, and um, I couldn't rationalize it on the basis of what I was being taught in my church, which was that Jesus loved everyone and no respecter of persons. And I had a really hard time. So I am at Wake Forest. and. Wake Forest had no black students, only white students, as did most private universities, and I guess public universities then. Just taken aside, just last week I marched in a parade here. In 1919, the Women's Suffrage Act was giving women the right to vote was passed by Congress. It took it a year to actually be ratified by enough states so that women But when I said women were given the right to vote, it was really white women were given the right to vote. And when we just marched last week in the parade for the Veterans Parade, we carried two banners. My black sisters carried a banner and a white sisters carried a banner. And the white banner said women were given the right to vote, voted in 1920, but black women were not given that right until 1965 with the Voter Registration Act, a lot, lot longer. So, in the last, since I became... going to be a bird on the podcast. 
since I since I grew up in the 60s and and my consciousness was piqued by Martin Luther King and a lot of other people in my church I knew what was right and wrong so when the first when Woolworths were being in Greensboro when there was a sit-in at Woolworths for the first sit-in in North Carolina where black students demanded to be served at Woolworths I thought this was the time for all white students and colleges to do it. So there was a group meeting at Wake Forest where we agreed that Wake Forest students, men and women, would join with the students from Winston-Salem State, which was a black university, and we would integrate the, we would, and we knew this was not going to go over well because they were burning crosses on people's yards in my hometown and in Wilson when word got back that I had done that, but it was, I reached a point when it was no longer, I could no longer rationalize the segregation that I was living in. So we got together and we played with the, we were at the chapel at Wake Forest, there in the chapel. And on this, the next morning at 8.30, these guys were supposed to pick us up in the cars and we were gonna go to Woolworths and meet the Winston-Salem. And everyone there were women. We'd gotten out of the residence hall. It was a Saturday morning we got there and we waited and we waited and we waited and waited. And the men never came to pick us up because the guys thought it would not be safe for women to do that. It didn't mean that they did not go and integrate this. They went with the Winston-Salem students and the women who had cars and hadn't depended upon them joined them too. But the, but the 25 of us who were in that church waiting did not get to do that. So. I guess I have been joining and marching for the rest of my life. To and you make, have marched so to a make, lot. So to make up for not being a part of that group, I was so angry. We had a we had a fifty five year reunion Wake Forest about four years ago, and some of the leaders in that group were still. We got together, and I told him, I said, I am still angry with you for leaving us there. We are never gonna forgive you for leaving us. And understood they thought it might get us into big trouble and understood they were trying to protect us. But I'm tired of men trying to protect women. <laughs> but, and you you will go down, like you will spend every last breath you have making sure people have equal rights. Well, I no, I don't, we still don't. No, you, no. Well, we don't, but mm -hmm. you, like you fight more than a ton of people I know. Well, it's just important to me. If yes, you, it, it is, it's very important. Like, it's very important to me. But yeah. like, I look up to you because of like how much you march oh. and how much you walk and like how much like, and how like you, you like, you know, like if, if someone like needs to live in your house or needs something from you, like you don't even hesitate before saying like, yes, we can do this. Yes, I can do this. Yes, I can do this. Like, that's right. You spend. But see, that's your story too. That's part of who we are. If you come into this Coltrane-rich family, that's who you are. That's part of your soul. At least I hope it is. That's, that's, it came to me from my parents. My father tells a story when he was, now my dad would be 110 if he were still living. Is that right? He, would, he was born in 1911, almost 110. And he tells a story growing up on a farm they had a tenant farmer who helped, who lived on the farm, 
who had sons the same ages, about the same age as my father, and he was best friends with one. And for the summer, that summer, his black friend went off to, uh, they were a black family, went to New York and, and was not there the whole summer. And when he came back in the fall, my dad was in town with his dad, and they were in Williamston, away from the farm in Williamston, and he saw his friend get off the bus, his black friend, and he ran down the street and got to him, and they hugged each other and jumped up and down. And everybody watched them because here was a white boy and a black boy. And this must have been, if he was born in 1911, I'm saying this probably was 1920. He was nine or 10, four years old. And he said his dad came over, separated him, and said, Albert, you can't do that. And he said, do what? He said, blacks and whites don't hug each other on the street. And daddy, my daddy said, to that point in his life, he had never questioned anything his dad had ever told him. But he knew in his heart that his daddy was wrong. And that was in 1921. And Brown versus the Board of Education wasn't in 1954. And the Voter Registration Act went until 1965. And black men supposedly got the vote by Lincoln after the war, but every state put so many impediments in front of them, they couldn't vote. So black men or black women were voting actually until about 1971. It took, after the 1965 voting rights, it took another six years for all the states to drop all the requirements that they put to keep black people from. It's just crazy. Racism is a deadly sin. It cuts you off from your humanity. It puts a, something in your heart and and people, you, you can't, you, you have to take it out. Nobody can take it out. It's something that you have to remove and no wrong, it's wrong. But so in my family, with my father, and you didn't remember my daddy's funeral, but at my daddy's funeral, I told a story that he told. One of his best friends when he was a grown man selling cars was the principal of the black high school. He bought cars from him and he and daddy were friends. But back in that day, a black man and a white man did not go out and socialize together. Black families and white families didn't. But they were friends. And in the summertime, they would go up to Washington to watch baseball. And they would, professional baseball, I think the senators. And they would get in a car and his friend would drive and daddy would be in the back seat like he was the chauffeur and they'd get to Emporia, Virginia, and Daddy would get in the front seat, and those two men would get a room together, and they would spend it, because in Washington and D.C., you didn't have the kind of prejudices that you had in rural areas. And, and they would spend the weekend watching games, and then they'd come back, they'd get to Emporia, Virginia, Daddy would get into the back seat, and the principal would drive him in to Enfield. What is that? You don't have to go back there again. You can't, there's still a lot of racism, but not that overt racism that we had used to be. It may not, we still call people names and we put people in boxes. And now they can be Muslim or you can be black or just different and people make up stories about you. But we are all cut out of the same cloth and we're all children of God. All right, have we done your 30 minutes now? <laughs> I'm...
I, f- I believe we have. <laughs> All right. Thank you. It's All right. Uh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Hope you can understand it. I hope it makes sense. It I skip will. around. That's when I talk. I'm sort of like a random jazz. I start off here and then I end up here and I go here and I go here. And Okay. So we done? We are done. Good. All right. So the other thing I want us to do. Oh, should I turn this off? Oh, I don't know. I guess so. You have a battery that's good enough to last that long? Yeah, it's still... Oh, it's still recording? For goodness sakes. Okay. Thank you, sweetie. I feel honored that you asked me that you wanted me to be on your little podcast. Yeah. I feel honored by that. Thank you. All right. I do not actually want to go shopping. The remainder of this podcast may or may not be an English project I have to do. So if you don't want to hear that, please tune out now. So, yeah. Stay cool, kids. All the way from Ithaca, it's my great pleasure to introduce all of you to Telemachus. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, Glad to be here. Okay, so you grew up quite a long time ago, and what was life like for you back then? Well, we really didn't have any technology, no electricity, no screens, no anything. So I would say probably we got a lot more fresh air than most kids today. Ouch. Well, what did you do for fun then? Let's see. I guess I enjoyed playing with Argo, our dog, but he was always a little sad since my father was gone. However, I had to grow up rather fast because of all the suitors going after my mom. Can you elaborate a little bit more on the suitors? Yeah. So, since I guess everyone in Ithaca took my father being gone as being dead, a ton of unfaithful men decided to try to take his title from him by marrying his wife. Well, that's horrible. Did she end up marrying any of them? No. You see, my mom, Penelope, was faithful to my father, but she was also very clever. She put out that all the suitors had to do an impossible task, saying that the one who could string Odysseus's... Your father. Yeah, right, my father, Odysseus. Odysseus's bow could win her hand. Well, why his bow? Like, couldn't anyone just string it? No. Odysseus was the only person who could string his bow. It was kind of like, you know, how Thor can be the only one who can pick up his own hammer. I don't own any Disney characters. So, what happened? Did she just, like, not marry anyone? No. My, so, my father showed back up and then strung the bow. Wait, so your father just showed back up after... 20 years. 20 years, wow. And everything was just okay and went back to normal? I mean, you must have had some reaction, right? What was it like when you first saw your father after all that time? Well, the very first time I saw my father, he was dressed like a beggar, and to be honest, I didn't recognize him. But then Athena made him look all nice, and but it all kind of happened really fast, and so I thought he was a god. Wait, but he's your father. You didn't recognize him? Twenty years is a long time. And I was very young when he left. However, once he explained who he was, well, we... You had an emotional reunion. Yeah, you could say that. So what about all the men who are unfaithful to your father? What happened to them? Oh, he killed them. But some of our maids were also unfaithful, so he killed them too. And he killed all these men right in front of you? Yeah, well, I actually helped kill the suitors. And that is all the time we have. Thanks for your time. Uh, 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 Thanks for having me. You can read the rest of Telemachus, Odysseus, and Penelope's adventures in the Odyssey by Homer. This is Isabel Rich signing off. 
And please remember to stay cool, kids.